Let's pray, hey? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are alive today and that you are moving through your word and that your word transforms hearts. And Lord, I pray that what is shared today would transform our hearts, would draw us closer to you and help us understand more fully your plan for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Now, I've been sharing on this series, The Excessively Superior Life. Anyone remember that? Today, I'm going to bring it to a close, I'm going to bring it to a finale, and, uh, and hopefully wrap it all up. I'm going to recap what we've gone through, so those of you who weren't here can understand where we're going and what it's about. And uh, hopefully at the end, we'll come to a greater understanding of our purpose and what we exist for. And this is really important um, in this day and age. I forgot my clicker. So are you going to go with me? Or do you want to chuck it up here? Just throw it. There you go. Whoa. Um, I'll need that. Thank you, Matthew. You know, in this day and age... And I, I don't know how you're feeling at the moment. It's, there's a lot of stuff going on. Everyone probably knows someone who's got COVID at the moment in our families or state. Maybe you know someone who's isolating. So it's a really weird time. And, uh, and I'm, probably some of you are feeling the weight of that. You feel like you're carrying the weight of what's going on. And every day you, you're looking up how many cases today or whatever sort of thing or... How many people in hospital or what's going to happen next? What restrictions are they going to change and so forth? And I, I really feel that today's message, I really believe, will hopefully bring focus for us. Focus for us to know as Christians where we stand and what we're all about and what really counts for us as Christians. I really believe it would do that. And so our passage was in John 10 verse 7 to 10, where Jesus says these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, I, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then our main text is, The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So over the last few weeks, I've been explaining what this abundant life Jesus is offering us is all about. Now, I talked about the fact that it can literally be translated, this idea of abundant life, life more abundantly, can literally be translated from the original language as an excessively superior life. What's it excessively superior to? It's excessively superior to the life that the world offers us, that is going on around us. The life that Jesus is offering us is greater than the life that we can experience in our world. It's literally the life that God had planned for humankind when he created them at the beginning of time. This is the life, a life connected to God. Sadly, and many of us would know the story, uh, sadly what happened is humankind was robbed. Was robbed by the thief, 
or the spirit of this world. It talks about the enemy, the serpent. And, and what happened is the thief tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. And what we know is that they, they did. This is the same thief that Jesus is talking about, who's still at work today in people and in, in activities and in organisations, working a way to put forward their agenda rather than God's agenda. Their agenda is to make us live without God. Their agenda is that we would disobey God and choose our own way. Pretty well to say it is that we do life the way we want to do life rather than doing life with God. This disobedience that Adam and Eve did when they disobeyed God and ate of the tree, this disobedience is what we call sin. And sin is simply that. Sin is us doing life the way we want to do it. Us doing life without God. Us saying that I'll be God of my own life, I'll be in control, I'll do things the way I want to do them. And since that day, since sin entered the world, that's what's been happening. And at the same token, as Jesus explains, ever since sin entered the world, ever since mankind was robbed by the spirit of this age, ever since that time, the pathway for mankind has been one of pain, destruction and death. Isn't that right? Ever since that fateful day when... We were robbed of what God had originally planned for us, a life with him. So over the last few weeks, I've been explaining that this abundant life that we have is not about the stuff we accumulate. Because it's really important to understand because sadly in some churches, we love to preach a, a prosperity type of doctrine that says God wants to give you lots of stuff. If you're right with God and blessed by God, you'll have heaps of stuff. You'll accumulate wealth and riches here on earth. But that's not what the abundant life that Jesus is talking about. And the abundant life that Jesus is talking about is not about us receiving accolades and attention and recognition either. Because our world loves to receive recognition and accolades and attention. Isn't that right? But this abundant life that Jesus is talking about is all about us being reconnected to God. In other words, us being reconnected to abundant life, which is God himself. This is what Jesus is explaining in this verse, is that it says, I am the door to this abundant life. I am the doorway. I am the one who will make a way for you to come back into relationship with God, for you to receive the abundant life that God has for you. Because we understand that Jesus has done everything required to deal with the sin issue, to deal with the disobedience issue. We know he came, he died on the cross and he rose again so that we could have a relationship with God again. So all we need to do, the Bible tells us, is to believe in who Jesus is Believe in what he has done for us and put our faith and trust fully in him. This was God's original plan for us. This is what God desired for us from the beginning. That we would depend on him for everything. 
rather than depend on ourselves and be in control ourselves. This is the abundant life that Jesus is describing, a relationship with God. And this is the excessively superior life that Jesus is talking about, that we would be connected with God again, restored in relationship with God again. I describe this this excessively superior life as the difference between having real lawn and fake lawn. Is that right? Remember that? There's no comparison. I know sometimes practically we need fake lawn, but the truth is artificial lawn is nothing like the real stuff. It's like, maybe this might hit home a bit better for some, it's like having real sugar compared to artificial sweetener. Come on. Is there any comparison? See, life with God, life connected to God is real life. It's true life. It's abundant life. Life without God is a sad, artificial, unreal replacement. And so this is what we've been talking about. And I've shared over the last few weeks a couple of things we learn about this abundant life that Jesus offers us. What, what is this excessively superior life that Jesus offers us? And the first thing we talked about is that he offers us rest over striving. You see, since sin came into the world, mankind has been striving, striving to be God of their own life, striving to be in control, striving to attain great things, striving you know, to go to the moon, striving to go even further now than the moon. They have been striving and hungering and... Go- but in all of that, mankind at the same time is tired, is weary, is worn down with all the striving, striving to be something. And this is what God says. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and sick of striving, and I will give you rest. That's what God wants to give us because he never designed us to, to be self-sufficient. He always designed us to depend upon him. And so everything we need is in him. And this idea of resting is, is the idea of putting your faith and trust in him. And I'll give you an example of what faith is. And this might help you understand what the rest that Jesus gives us. Is that when we talk about having faith in God, it's the same idea of me having faith in this chair. I have no doubt that if I sit down on this chair, it's going to hold my weight. There's no doubt in my mind that that's what it's going to do. And faith in God is the same, that we would rest in him, that we would put all our weight on him and let him look after us, that we would trust him with our whole lives and know that he will carry us through, that he will always be with us, that we... We can rely on him for everything. We don't have to strive anymore to try to be something and be someone. We can rest in God and allow him to lead us and guide us. This is why Jesus spoke so much against worry and anxiety and things like that. Because worry is us trying to be in control and trying to keep things in control. Uh, Rather than having faith and saying, I know who my God is and I will trust him. George Mullis made this statement, which is the beginning of worry is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith 
is the end of worry. When we fully trust God and rest in him, that is real faith. That we know he has got our life in his hands and we can trust him. The second thing we learnt about this excessively superior life that Jesus gives us is that he gives us position over performance. Which literally means when we put our faith in God, put our faith in Jesus, that we are adopted into his family. That means you and I are sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters of Christ. That means that we no longer gain our value from the way we perform. But instead, our value comes from who we belong to. Our world loves to, to work out our value by performing and achieving and doing stuff. But God says, I choose you as you are. I created you as you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are created in my image. You are my child and everything I have is yours. You don't have to perform to get my attention because you are my child. You don't have to be someone or something to get my attention because I have adopted you into my family. You don't need to perform with God. You just need to stand and know who you are in God and who you belong to. Now these are great things. Two things, rest over striving, position over performance are good things, aren't they? Who's excited about that? Anyone excited? They're good things that God has given us in this abundant life. But it, it has made me wonder, and I talked about this on Christmas, Christmas Day, is that well, these are great things. It's great to have rest and it's great to have position. But then my question is, well, what do I exist for then? I, have, I rest in God. I put my faith in him. I know my positions in God. But then what am I actually meant to do with my life is the question I had. And I believe the answer can be found in the last thing that Jesus offers us in this excessively superior, abundant life that he gives. And that last thing he offers us is purpose over prestige. And let me explain this, because we need to remember, number one, that Jesus can only give us something that he already has. You understand that? So when Jesus offers us an excessively superior life, when Jesus offers us abundant life, he is offering us the life that he has already attained and already has in him. He can't give something that he doesn't have. Isn't that right? Just like an unconscious person can't give another unconscious person life. Uh, a person that is conscious and has life then can give life to someone who is unconscious. Isn't that right? Same idea. Jesus can only offer us abundant life if he has it. How do we know he had abundant life? You just need to look at the way he lived his life when he walked this earth. You read about Jesus, you know he had a life that people wanted because people wanted to be around him. Wherever he went, he went around doing good, the Bible says. 
He preached the gospel. He preached wisdom. He preached amazing wisdom that people went, this is, I've never heard this before. This is incredible. This man has authority like we don't see amongst the priests and the religious leaders of our day. This man knows what he's talking about and he believes what he's saying. And he backed up that belief by the fact that he saw miracles and he saw healings and he saw incredible things. So he was full of abundant life himself and people were drawn to it. Isn't that right? It's really interesting to note though that just because Jesus had abundant life, it didn't mean that he didn't have problems. Need to hear that. Just because Jesus had abundant life, it didn't mean that he wasn't tested and that he didn't experience trials. Isn't that right? Jesus was still persecuted. Sometimes we think, if I have abundant life, then nothing should go wrong in my life. That's not true. That is a lie. Having abundant life means things will probably go wrong in your life. Ask Jesus. Because when you're living in abundant life, there's someone who doesn't want you to live in abundant life and will try to pull you down and attack. But this is the incredible thing about Jesus, that even though he was tempted and even though he was tested, he never disobeyed God. Unlike Adam and Eve, who were tempted and tested and chose to disobey God, unlike us, who were tempted and tested and often choose to disobey God, Jesus never disobeyed God. And I, I've been using the three temptations of, of Jesus in Luke 4 to explain the what the abundant life he has looks like. And the, we're going to look at the last temptation now that Jesus experienced and see what we can learn from that for our own lives and, and what purpose that God has for us. So the final temptation that Jesus experienced was this one. It says, The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. And then there's always the big if. If you will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, in this passage, just like Adam and Eve, Jesus is tempted by the enemy. And the enemy tempts Jesus by showing him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I'll give you all of that. It's all yours if you just bow down and worship me. Now, I want you to think about this logically. Jesus knows that he's been sent by God to save the world. Now, if he's been sent by God to save the world, then logically, hey, if this guy can give me authority over all the kingdoms of the world, then I can use that authority to help people. I can fix the world up. This is a good thing he could be offering me. This could be the pathway to me seeing what God wanted me to do happen. But Jesus understood very clearly that what he was being offered was a lie. And so he stood there very clearly 
full of abundant life, full of God's life. And he said very clearly, that's not my purpose. My purpose and the purpose of mankind is not to have the prestige of all the world in, under our authority. Our purpose is to worship God and serve him only. That's our purpose. That's what God created us to exist for. And Jesus shows us very quickly and straight away, this is what God has called us to, that we would worship God and worship him only. And in that statement, he makes it very clear, who we worship is what matters most. Who we worship is what matters most. Now, when I talk about worship, we're not talking about the wonderful, lovely singing we do here in church. From the wonderful trio this morning of pensioners up here leading us. It was fantastic. The old, the oldies. It was wonderful. Like, I'm just teasing them. It's all right. I, we love them. Like that, I'm not talking about singing songs. What I'm talking about is the worship. When we worship, it's about a lifestyle that shows what matters most to us. See, uh, we can tell what matters most to a person by the way they live. And what matters most to a person uh, and the, affects the way they live. And so we often describe it as they worship that thing. So I'll give you one example. It's very simple, uh, very simplistic. But um, if I went around to someone's house and in their house, all over their walls, they had port power paraphernalia and they they had a life-size picture like cardboard cutout of Ken Hinckley on one side of their table and on the other side they had Travis Boak and they had pictures all over the wall and they would talk incessantly about how amazing Port Power are and then I would very easily assume that they worship Port Power isn't that right is there anyone here like that Oh, didn't you just hear what I said? You should only worship God and serve him only. Come on. The truth is, everyone worships something in our world. People worship money. People worship their careers. People worship their position and status and power. People worship relationships. People worship family. People, people worship all sorts of things. People do worship sports. People worship the skills they have because it makes them get, get somewhere. And in biblical terms, these things that we worship are what we describe as idols. And idols, God makes it very clear in the first three commandments that we are not to have idols, that we are only to worship one God. Timothy Keller describes idols like this. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. And then I'll feel significant and secure. Isn't that interesting? An idol, people do this all the time. If I just have more money, that will make my life have more meaning. That will mean I have more value in other people's eyes when they see me driving a nice car. And I'll feel significant and secure. But who knows? 
Idols never fulfill what we really need in our hearts. Because the only one that can fulfill all those obligations to have meaning, to have value, and to have significance and security is God. No one else can fulfill that. You can chase after whatever you want, but it will never fulfill those things in your life like God can. And interestingly, the thing that demands our attention, whether it be money or anything else, or a career or anything like that, it can also become the thing that we are known for. And when we are known for something, we can easily be seduced by the, by the prestige of being known for something. Does that make sense? So when we become known for something and people go, oh, that's that person who's really good at making money. And we think, oh, that makes me feel good. They, they know me for that. And then we can easily get seduced by the, the prestige of being known for something. And sadly, the trap of prestige when it becomes our aim is that we end up worshipping all it has to offer in our lives rather than God. Does that make sense? So when we worship this stuff, we, it replaces God in our lives. Now sadly, I'm going to be totally honest here, it can happen just as much in the church as it can happen in the world. Because sadly, as Christians, we believe God may have called us to do something significant for him, that God's called us to do great things for him. But sadly, when we, we strive after those great things that we feel like he's called us to do for him, sometimes what happens is those great things we do for God become more important than worshipping God himself. Does that make sense? That can happen to us as Christians. We can build great churches and stuff and all of a sudden the church building and the church activities and the church stuff actually crowds out God and we end up worshipping the church stuff rather than God himself. But God says our purpose is to worship him and serve him only. Jesus makes it really clear that this excessively superior life that he is offering us is a life lived to worship God with everything we have. The Apostle Paul explains it like this in Romans 12. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. This passage explains really clearly that we worship, by, worship God by offering him our lives as a living sacrifice. Now that word sacrifice is not a popular word in this day and age, is it? People don't like this idea of sacrifice because it costs you something. Sacrifice has is, uh, is got a lot of negative connotations in a lot of people's mi minds. Oh, they're going to take stuff from me. They're going to take stuff from me. 
if I sacrifice this, then I'm, I'm going to lose out on something else. I'm going to miss out on stuff. But I read a really interesting quote this week from Eugene Peterson that gives a different take on sacrifice that I hope will bring maybe a fresh understanding of what it means to be a living sacrifice for God. And he says this, A sacrifice is an offering placed before the Lord so that he can make something of it. I'll read that again. A sacrifice is an offering placed before the Lord so that he can make something of it. You see, as we offer our lives to God, we give him our lives and we say, God, I lay my life before you as a living sacrifice. The amazing thing is that he then comes into our life and he transforms our life into something new and something that we could have never imagined or believed. This is how sacrifice works. That when we give God something, he does something that we could never expect or believe. We could never imagine. Because this is how sacrifices were created to work. In the Old Testament, they would bring their, their best lamb or their best dove or whatever it was, and they put it on the altar and they'd burn it. But in exchange for what they brought, they would receive forgiveness. See, God would transform that burnt offering into forgiveness and reconciliation for them. But we know the reality is that it didn't last. And that's why Jesus had to come, because he was the perfect sacrifice that died on the cross and rose again so that we could have abundant life, so that we could receive the life of God. And it's all because of his sacrifice. It's all because of his act of worship to God that we can now receive abundant life. This is the exciting thing. This is, this is where it all makes sense and comes together. Because in the same way this abundant life Jesus offers us through his sacrifice, the incredible thing is that now because of his sacrifice and the abundant life that he gives us through his sacrifice, it now shows us our purpose. You see, our purpose is to worship God with our lives just like Jesus did. I'll say that again. If, if Jesus is our example on how to worship God, then our purpose is to live our lives like Jesus did. To worship God like Jesus did. How did he worship God? He laid down his life for others. This is why Jesus said these really strong and difficult words to his disciples in Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more 
than your soul. What is our purpose? Our purpose is to put our lives in God's hands. To lay our life down for him. God never intended our lives to be defined by greatness as the world sees greatness. Or as the world defines greatness. But rather he called us to be defined by simple obedience to him. By sacrificial obedience to him. Now I'm not talking about that we all have to go and be martyrs and you know go go over to Afghanistan and get killed for God's sake. That's not what I'm talking about here. What Paul is talking about this idea of a living sacrifice is that every day we offer our lives to God and say God help me live life to worship you. Help me live my life for others. Help me lay down my life for those around me help me to live like you lived help me love others as you love me help me show others how much you love them by my actions and by what i do and simply going god what do you want me to do today i'll be obedient so wherever we are and whatever we're doing we just obey god in whatever he asks us this is exactly the life jesus displayed to us when he walked this earth because in reality at the end of Jesus life for all intents and purposes his life was a dismal failure he didn't ever ascend to any places of power or position he didn't even when he was hanging on the cross and died a cruel criminal's death all his followers had deserted him so he was left there all by himself and so in the world's eyes what there's his life was pretty much a failure but the reality is when he put his life in God's hands when he said those faithful words to God not my will be done but your will be done God was able to transform his sacrifice into a doorway to abundant life for all of us that we could reconnect with god you think about it jesus in reality jesus ministry was going pretty well he was having crowds following him he was healing the sick he was doing great things he could have said to god but god don't take my ministry from me i I, I, if i just keep serving you and i keep doing what you've called me to do and and keep healing the sick maybe all of israel will will turn around and come back to you and and we'll have revival in israel at the time but he didn't say that he said not my will god but your will be done if i have to go to that cross and die if that's the way it's going to happen then i'll do it and in the same way this is the purpose that god puts in our hands with his abundant life that we would use our abundant life that he has given us to serve others to obey him and serve those around us which is a really powerful thought in this day and age it might be sobering and and, and solemn but in reality if imagine 
what our world would look like if the church rose up and took hold of its purpose to serve those around them with their lives, to worship God and sacrificially give their lives for others. I want to finish with one last story as we come to a close. And I hope in this story, it's from Jesus' life, but I hope it will help us fully understand what he's called us to, the purpose that he has called us to. The story is in John 13, and many of you would know it. It's the story of when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It's just before he's about to um, do the Last Supper and just before he's about to get crucified. He gathers all his disciples together, including Judas, who's betrayed him, and he washes all of their feet. And it's really interesting because I'm going to pick it up in verse 12 because he explains to them why he has washed their feet. And I believe in his explanation, it shows us what our purpose is when it comes to worshipping God and God only. So it's in John 13, verses 12 to 17. So after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's, that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. What will God bless us for? He'll bless us for washing each other's feet. That's what he'll bless us for. What's that a symbolic gesture of? Us serving each other. Us laying our lives down for each other. Jesus had every right to say, I'm the master. I, you should wash my feet, which what Peter said to him, don't wash my feet, I should be washing yours. And he said, no, I'm doing something so that you will understand what God has called you to. Because if I'm willing to wash your feet, then you need to be willing to wash each other's feet. In other words, we worship God by sacrificially laying our life down for each other. That's how we worship God. That's how we serve him. Come up, Jim. This is our purpose, that we would worship God with our lives by sacrificing our lives for others. Because when we do, God transforms that sacrifice into something incredible, something amazing. In that verse from Romans 12, it's, it's, translating, it's translated like this in the Message Bible. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. What did God do for you? 
He sacrificed his life. He became human. He lived on this earth, was tempted and tested just like we are. Went to the cross and died on a cruel cross. Laid his life down. Why? So that we could have abundant life. So that we could have a relationship with God again. And in that relationship with God that we would know our purpose. That we would embrace what he's done for us and do the same thing as he did that's the best thing we can do for him is to follow his example I'd ask you all to bow your heads in prayer this has been a a strong message uh, uh, I guess a, a pointed message But I believe at the start of 2022, it's an important reminder to keep us on track. There's so much happening in our world at the moment that we can get distracted by so many things. And we can get caught up in the events of our world at the moment. But God wants to remind us what He has called us for. He has called us to have abundant life. This abundant life involves rest, yes, and it involves position, But this abundant life also gives us a purpose. And that purpose is to follow his example and to live a life of sacrificial obedience. Where we say to God, not my will, but your will be done. God, take my life and transform it into whatever you want it to be to those around me. So today at the start of 2022, I believe God wants to encourage us and remind us what we exist for. That we exist to love others. We exist to love God with everything we have and love each other with everything we have. And sometimes that means it costing us something. But when our sacrifice, God can transform it into something amazing. There may be people in this place today and you've never experienced God's abundant life. You've only just heard about this today, that God would want to have a relationship with you. And you say, I've never heard that before and I want a relationship with God. I want Him in my life. I, would, I do want to give Him my life. I, I want to put my life in His hands and trust Him. And if that's you in this place today, I would love to pray with you. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a prayer. And I'd ask you to repeat it after me and I'm going to ask everyone to join in. And in that prayer, it's inviting God into your life and asking Him into your life. And the Bible says if you pray that with all your heart and you believe what you're saying, that He will bring His abundant life to you, that He will save you, that He will restore you, that He will transform your life. And so I'm going to ask everyone here to repeat this after me. And if you say this from your heart and you really want it, believe God will come and bring change to your situation and bring life, abundant life, this excessively superior life we're talking about. So why don't you repeat after me? Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for not including you in my life. 
And I ask you to come into my life and to be my God, to be the one I put my trust in, to to be the one who I rest in like that chair. I put my faith in you and I put my life in your hands that you would make it what you want it to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Right now across this place, if that's you and you've said that for the first time and you declare it, I would love to talk to you after the meeting. I'd love to pray with you more. I would love to to stand with you and, and confirm what God is doing in your life because you now have abundant life. God's abundant life is with you and He wants to fill your life and He wants to give you rest. He wants to give you position and He wants to give you purpose. And He's going to fill your life with all He has. Now, as I said, it doesn't mean we won't have problems. But with God, anything is possible. With God, you can get through anything, no matter what. Now, for those of you who are Christians here, I want to encourage you to step up this year. To, To say, God, thank you for the reminder. Thank you for the encouragement. Help me live for you. It's an opportunity to say, here's my living sacrifice. I'm yours again. Maybe people have got distracted. You've got caught up in everything going on in our world and stuff going on in your life and it's just stopped you from focusing on God and God wants you to bring your attention back to Him.